Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 2 Corinthians 13, I would invite you to be getting your Bible cranked open or fired up to 2 Corinthians 13 as well. If you're using a digital Bible or a paper Bible, whatever it takes, let's all be in the Word of God together for these next few minutes, looking here at some of the final words that Paul has to say to the Corinthian church in this second epistle. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians 13, let me join in a very hearty welcome that's already been extended. What a great number we have in attendance this morning, and what a great opportunity we have to be assembled together in God's house, with God's people, doing God's things. I am just tremendous. I would like if we just sang like five more verses to that song. Just so encouraging uh, to be together this morning as we worship God in spirit and in truth. This is a very unique day here at Lakeside, at least it's very unique for me, because I'm getting the opportunity to share the pulpit time with three other good men today. Uh, as Adam's kind of already alluded to, three men who have labored with this congregation in years past. And I am excited for the things that we're going to talk about and discuss this morning and this evening in the time that we have together. In Romans the 12th chapter and in verse 5, the Bible says that we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. One of another. That passage speaks of our connectedness, of our shared relationship in Christ Jesus. That we are, in a very real sense, we are a family. We are a team. And as a result, as is the case on any family or on any team, we are, we are having some obligations to one another. And one another is going to be the key expression today. I appreciate Paul, his good prayer, talks so much about one another kinds of things. In fact, in the New Testament, that expression, one another, it appears dozens of times. And the majority of the time that it is found in the New Testament, it is connected with a particular uh, commandment or responsibility that Christians have toward one another. And so I've asked Michael and Larry and David if they would pick out maybe their favorite or maybe just one of or a couple of the one another statements in the New Testament and talk about those things today Help us to better understand and deepen our desire to be responsible in our, these obligations that we have one toward another. Now, of all of the one another statements that are found in the New Testament, and there are a bunch of them, there's a lot of great ones. Forgiving one another. Being hospitable to one another. Bearing one another's burdens. Does anybody want to take a guess as to which one of those I chose to preach about this morning? I chose this one. That's right. This morning, we're going to talk about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Now, before any of our visitors get really weirded out and decide, oh, I think I'm in the wrong place. I'm out of here today. Before anybody does that, bear with me for just a couple of minutes. Because what I think you will find is that this statement, greet one another with a holy kiss, and it's found three other places in the New Testament, that it has a lot less to do with kissing. It has a lot more to do with greeting. Let's talk about that. Read the passage with me. In 2 Corinthians 13, in verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
Now, this is a great little passage. And I want you to understand, this is some very intentional writing that Paul is doing here at the end of this letter. In fact, I'm afraid that our English translations of the Bible probably end up sapping away some of the intentionality with which Paul is speaking. In fact, that probably explains the varied translations that we have in these two, or at least in verse 11 in particular. Let me actually read verse 11 to you as it would have originally appeared in the original language. Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And then he says, very simply, Be perfected. Be comforted. Be single-minded. And then be peaceful. That is how the language would originally have appeared. It is written in the form of a direct command. Paul says, be these things. And then after saying to the Corinthians, you need to be these things, Paul then says the result of that is that the God of peace will be with you. That if you will be this kind of stuff, this kind of person then our Lord, He'll be with you. And isn't that what we all want? We all want the Lord to be with us. Paul says that'll happen if you'll be this kind of person. Now, I want to focus here on verse 11 for just a moment before we get to verse 12. That's what everybody wants to know about. Paul says here in verse 11 that a Christian is going to be a certain kind of person. First of all, look at that first one. We are going to be perfected. That is complete. That's probably even a better word to use there. The Colossian letter talks about that. How we are made complete by virtue of us being in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 10. Without Christ, we're not complete. We're never going to be everything that we can be and everything that we ought to be. But in Him, Jesus perfects us. He makes us complete. And then secondly, Paul says that Christians Christians should be people who are Comforted, Be comforted. If a person is truly in Christ, if a person finds his or her perfection in Jesus, then naturally, shouldn't that give you comfort? I think in some way we're all looking for comfort. You may even right now, you might be a little bit warm, a little bit hot here in the, the building, so you're kind of doing different things to kind of be comfortable. Well, spiritually speaking... There is no way to ever be comfortable outside of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says when you're in Christ, yeah, there is great comfort to be found. And then thirdly, Paul says, Christians are to be single-minded. Be single-minded with who? Well, you be single-minded with the one who gave you perfection and comfort with Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And of course, if each and every one of us, if we are all single-minded with Jesus, then what's going to happen? Yeah, we're also going to be single-minded with one another, won't we? And then lastly there, Paul says to be peaceful. That is, no longer can I be all wrought up and stressed out and out of sorts as a result of being spiritually incomplete, as a result of being spiritually uncomfortable, as of being other-minded. No. I now have that peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because I am in Christ. Christians are going to be people who have peace. All of that then leads to what Paul says there. When you're this person, the God of love and peace, He will be with you. So Paul says a Christian is going to be somebody who's going to be a certain kind of person and we're going to actually exude those kinds of qualities in our life. That then brings us to the verse of the hour. That brings us there to verse 12. Greet one another then with a holy kiss. 
Now, here's what I want you to understand before we go any further. And this is why I spent a moment on verse 11. We cannot do what verse 12 says if we will not be what we're supposed to be in verse 11. You understand that? Whatever verse 12 means, and we'll get to that, whatever it means, I can't do it if I'm not being the right kind of person. Number one, I can't because I won't even want to. I won't want to do verse 12 if I'm not being that person in verse 11. Just think about it. People out in the world, they don't want to come greet us with a holy kiss, do they? And why not? Because they don't want to be that person. They're not trying to be that kind of individual. And so if I'm not trying to be those things, then guess what? I'm not ever going to want to greet anyone with a holy kiss either. And then secondly, I won't even be able to. If I'm not being the right kind of person, even if I wanted to greet somebody with a holy kiss, I would never even be able to. If I'm not being a person who is characterized by spiritual completeness, comfort, single-mindedness, and peace, then how in the world can I ever practice anything that God deems as being something that is holy? It'll just never, ever happen. And so, before I can do any of this one another stuff, these guys are going to talk about all kinds of one another things today, before I can do any of that kind of stuff, I need to start by working on the man in the mirror, don't I? That's what verse 11 is exhorting us to do. I need to examine my walk with the Lord. I need to make sure that I'm walking right with Jesus Christ before I'm ever going to be in a position to do anything, to fulfill any of my obligations to my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Namely, this business of greeting one another with a holy kiss. Well, what exactly does that mean? I want to figure this out. I want to know what God is saying when he says to greet one another with the Holy Kiss. Well, I want you right now in your mind, I want you to please hit the pause button on any fixation that you might have about the Holy Kiss. I think that's for whatever reason. We're just fascinated by that. That's all we ever want to talk about. Let's talk about that Holy Kiss. Put the pause button on that. I need us to focus on that first word there. I need us to focus on that word greet. Because I think that's the real key in all of this. You know, when you, when you and I, whenever we hear the word greet or we think about the idea of greet, we think that that means going up to somebody and saying, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. How's things been going? And we think that by doing that, by saying that, well, we've, we've greeted that person. And of course, by our modern American definition of that, then I guess we have greeted them. But biblically, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 12, biblically, eh, we haven't actually greeted them. This word in the Greek is a very fascinating term. It is the word espazomai. And it means to bring to oneself. Just visualize that. To bring to oneself. Right away, I hope you can already see that this idea of just walking down the sidewalk and somebody's passing by some random stranger and we say, hey, how you doing? That doesn't actually meet this definition of greet, does it? In fact, if you do this to some random person walking down the sidewalk, what's going to happen? You get punched in the face. Get away from me. You might get slapped with a lawsuit. We're not doing greetings the way the Bible is talking about when we're walking around talking to random strangers. And so Paul's not talking here when he talks about greeting one another with the Holy Kiss. He's not talking about us with just random people out in the world. He's talking about us with us. That word is sponsoma. It actually has a root word. It is the word spao. And it is where we get our English word 
spasm. In fact, if you look there at the Greek word, you can kind of even see the word spasm. It's kind of right there in the word. And when I learned that, I thought to myself, well, that's, that's strange. It's kind of weird. Spasm? Like a muscle spasm? What in the world does a muscle spasm? How is that the same as greeting somebody in this way? What in the world is up with that? And so I studied about that, read lots of stuff. And I thought as I was kind of, kind of thinking I was getting it, I thought I was kind of on the right track. But I wanted to be absolutely sure. And so I sat down on Taco Tuesday with our resident physical therapist, Dr. Josh Harris. And I talked with him about this because he's an expert on some of these medical sorts of things. And Josh actually did confirm my suspicions. And then even furthermore, he actually helped to deepen my understanding here. Josh explained in very layman's terms, which is what I needed, that a spasm, it's just a contraction of the muscle into itself. That's what's going on with a spasm or a cramp. It's the contraction of the muscle into itself. Whenever you get a a, a cramp or a spasm, that muscle, it it draws up, doesn't it? It draws itself in. Uh, Brian was one of the pitchers last night at the softball game over at the field. Brian pitched a lot. I know he pitched seven hard innings. Oh, I imagine when Brian was done with all that, he may have had some of that cramping and that spasming going on in his arm. He gets a spasm, it's going to draw itself in. Now, whenever that happens, when the muscle draws itself in, what do we usually do to try to remedy that? We try to push it out. We try to get it to go in the opposite direction. We pull it away from the direction that it's trying to pull to. The muscle's cramping up like this, so we're pulling out like that so that we can kind of massage that out and get some kind of relief. The spasm, though, draws it in. You see now the spiritual connotation to all of this? Spasm says that we draw each other to ourselves. And the concept here is to draw to the core. To draw to the core. That's very personal. That's very connected. That's very close. To draw to the core. Now, the part that Josh Harris said something about, and it really kind of enlightened my thinking about this idea of spasm, is that a spasm works even against active resistance. Maybe that's best illustrated by the idea of holding your breath. Let's try to hold our breath. We're going to have a big contest. All of us are going to hold our breath for as long as we possibly can. So we're going to hold our breath... Eventually, what's going to happen? Eventually, we're going to... Our body is just reflexively... It's going to have to let out. We're going to have to get some breath, aren't we? Our body needs that oxygen in order to function as it should. We have to have that oxygen to breathe. And so the spasm is what creates that. What I'm saying to you this morning is that spiritually speaking, if we are greeting one another as we should... It's going to be because we can't help but be that way. Why? Because of who we are, verse 11. I am being these things. And as a result, I cannot help but draw my brothers and sisters to the core. And if you are living out genuine Christianity, if you are truly a child of God, then you will naturally, I believe, seek to draw your brothers and sisters to the core, to bring them to yourself. That is what Christians do. You think about it this way. If someone in your physical family, if they move away, 
Maybe you've got a teenager. They're going to go off to college. and They're going to be away some distance from you. Maybe a favorite sibling. Them and their family. They have to move to another state because of work. The minute you see that person, the minute you see them after having been away from them for a certain amount of time, what do you immediately do? What do we just reflexively do when we see that person for the first time? What is our natural gut response? We're doing this. We're doing that embrace. We're drawing them into us. Why is that? Somebody says, well, duh, Josh, because that's my family. You know what? This is our family. It's not blood. In fact, it's thicker than blood. And so there ought to be this natural inclination to embrace and to draw to the core. It ought to be as natural to us as breathing oxygen if we are truly being the kind of people that we ought to be. That is exactly what I believe Paul is trying to stress and to teach in this passage. Now, of course, what everybody wants to know is, well, what about that kiss, Josh? What is the holy kiss? And the answer is, I don't have a clue. I don't. I mean, the best I think I can say is that in Eastern countries, even to this present day, people greet one another by giving each other a kiss on the cheek. And my suspicion is is that the reason that that is still prevalent in some of those Middle Eastern countries is because that was the custom in Bible times. And it is in those very lands that Paul and Jesus and those kinds of people walk. And today, those are just the remnants and the leftovers of that custom and that practice in that place. In that part of the world, it's just what they did. And so is God saying that every time you see your brother or your sister in Christ, you ought to pull them in and give them a big old smooch right there on the cheek? No. I don't believe that's what God is saying. Now you go to those countries and that's what they want to do? That's the kiss. Our country... You want a hug? That's the kiss. Doris Ballback gives me a holy hug, sometimes even a holy kiss, every time she walks in this building and we see each other. And it's genuine, it is sincere, and it is real. If you want a firm handshake, that's the kiss. I think the point is, is we're putting a spiritual and a holy attitude on an intimate touch. I think often about Jesus in Luke the fifth chapter. Whenever he reached out and he touched that man who was afflicted with leprosy and healed him, I have to believe that that was purposeful and intentional. Jesus didn't need to touch that leper. But that leper needed Jesus to touch him. So I think the touch is important. And I do think that Paul is talking at least somewhat about a personal touch in whatever form that may be. To somehow and in some way convey my sincere love for the family of God. That I will demonstrate my desire to draw my brothers and sisters to myself. To draw them to the core. Maybe the takeaway then in all of this this morning is, am I doing that? Am I doing that? And if I'm not doing that, then maybe I ought to start by looking in verse 11 and figuring out, am I actually being the kind of person that I ought to be? That might be a first good place to do some checkup. But if I am being the kind of person that I ought to be, I then ought to take a look around this group. To my brothers and sisters here at Lakeside, I'm talking here specifically those that are members of this congregation. To my brothers and sisters here at Lakeside, do they know my desire to draw them to me and for me to be drawn into them? 
Furthermore, can I look around this group and maybe notice, are there some folks who maybe are they're kind of on the fringes? They're kind of on the periphery? And is there something in some small way that I may be able to do, some personal touch that I can make that might help to then draw them in to the core? I recognize this morning that by choosing this particular one another statement, I realize that I have set myself up for all kinds of jokes and jabs immediately after the amen is said and I'm standing in the foyer. Folks coming up trying to give me a kiss and folks trying to stay away, don't kiss me. I get that. We see the word kiss in our Bible and we just start, <laughs> we just start giggling like a bunch of schoolgirls. But I hope what you've seen this morning is that this really isn't about kissing. It is about recognizing first and foremost who we are as the people of God. And then furthermore, it is communicating our love for one another as the family of God. We worship with, as we serve with, as we work with, as we travel with one another through this life and our journey toward heaven.